Mark chapter 8 is where we are at. Uh, We left off last week. We saw Jesus feed 4,000 miraculously. Again, another miraculous feeding of a large group of people. Uh, this, This morning we pick it up at verse 11 of Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Let me read. Uh, down to verse 21, and we'll have a word of prayer. And the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets... Full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it that you don't understand? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to understand. (laughs) We don't want to forget all that you've done. We don't want to let let out of our remembrance, God, your blessings, your provision, your truths, God, the changes you've made in our lives, Lord, the things we've discovered about you. We don't want to forget them. We don't want our hearts to become hardened or our minds to become dull, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us to remember. You encourage us. You exhort us to take note, to pay attention, to use the minds that you've given us, God, to think on you, to consider you, to consider life, earth, the human body, nature, creation, things with the, that we see through the telescope and the microscope, God. The whole thing, Lord, speaks of you and is for you, for your glory. So, Lord, teach us well today, we pray. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see lessons on believing. You could also say lessons on faith today. We see two groups of people. We see one group of people, the Pharisees, Uh, coming and they don't believe and they refuse to believe and there are people in this world who refuse to believe. The evidence can be as as big as anything. I hope I don't offend anybody in the room and that's a great way to get your attention right away by saying that. But there are still people and you might be one of them uh, and if you are, we love you uh, and I would disagree but there are still many, many people that, that are insisting that the earth is flat. And, and uh, I, I think there's just such a preponderance of evidence to prove that the earth is, is a globe, is a sphere, and yet they seem to, in my opinion at least, and we're not here to study astronomy and physics and these such things, but it's just an example, they seem, at least in my opinion, to ignore the evidence. And here Jesus is running into some people that are ignoring the evidence about him. Then we see his, his disciples, the ones that are following him, forgetting about the evidence. So the first group refuses to believe. The second group, it's hard for them to believe because of their focus. And so we have lessons on believing today, lessons on faith, you might say. So let's take a look at these, this first group here, uh, verses 
Uh, we'll look at verses 11 and 12. Jesus had finished feeding the 4,000. They had departed the region. And the Pharisees came out to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. So we see the Pharisees here in verse 11. They come to Jesus, but they don't come humbly. They come with an agenda. They came seeking to win an argument. And they want to publicly uh, kind of disqualify Jesus in the eyes of the people. There are people who are honest skeptics. And, and I think about Lee Strobel, one who's written many books. Uh, one of his, I think his first book was A Case for Christ. And he was an investigative journalist and a very intelligent guy and was a skeptic about Christianity and about Jesus Christ, but, but said, since I'm a journalist, the thing that journalists do is we seek out uh, the truth and the facts of a matter and we let the facts of a matter bring us to a conclusion. So he went into his investigation about Jesus with some skepticism, but as the facts kept piling up and as he challenged professors and commentators and Bible scholars and that kind of thing, asked them all the hard questions, the more, the more uh, he asked the hard questions and the harder the questions and there were satisfactory answers that came, evidence began to compile in his mind and his heart about the validity and the reality of Jesus Christ and it led him to faith. He came as an honest skeptic. So a person may be a skeptic, but if they're honest at least... They've got a, a shot at, at discovering who Jesus Christ really is. But there are those who stay decided against Jesus. They decide that no matter what happens, you're not going to talk me into believing in Christ. There's no way, no how at all. And as long as a person holds that position, they're never going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're never going to believe what the Bible says about Jesus or what you say or what creation says about God or anything like that. So coming to Jesus in humility and honesty are absolute prerequisites for knowing him. You can't come to him dishonestly and you can't come to him with a foregone conclusion having your mind made up already. Look at your notes if you would. Jeremiah 29:13. God says to the children of Israel, they had been off in Babylon for 70 years, off because of the disciplining hand of God. He said to them, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's so important, guys, if we're searching for the Lord, if you're a skeptic, an unbeliever, you've never, you haven't come to Christ yet, but if you come honestly, and I, and I take great, great joy in saying this, and I've told many people this, if you come honestly to God, I said, read the Gospel of John, come honestly to God, if God doesn't speak to you, throw the Bible away and move on to something else. And I'm not afraid to tell people to do that. Because it says right there, if you look for me with all your heart, you'll find me, and I believe that. God will reveal himself to the searching, honest heart. Also, guys, may I, may I say, that, that also applies to Christians. You're in the faith, you're justified, Jesus Christ is your Savior, but there may be pockets of your life where you're really not wanting to know his will for you because it might require of you to do something that you don't want to do. Forgive somebody or some other thing. And so you don't come honestly. You're not going to really hear from him because you made up your mind. Jesus also said in John 4.24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So you come with all your heart, you come in truth. That's, that's how we get connected to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees here come asking for a sign. Look at verse 11. Seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. 
They come asking for a sign even though they have seen at least dozens of miracles or scores or hundreds. Some Bible scholars even say they've seen, they had seen thousands of miracles. There was a ton of evidence supporting what Jesus said about himself, but they still come and they're wanting to dispute. That word testing here is also translated disputing with him. It's also translated tempting him. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But notice they came asking for a sign from heaven. Some of the guys that I read and some of the books that I read suggested that they were, something, they were asking something akin to what Elijah the prophet did in 1 Kings 18. There was a battle with Elijah the prophet and the prophets of Baal. Long story short, um, Elijah challenged them and said, you have your sacrifice here, I'll have my sacrifice here. We'll, we won't light a fire to them. We'll ask God to send fire from heaven and the one uh, to whom sacrifice is, is uh, set ablaze, he's the real prophet of God. He's the real representative of God. And so Elijah went so far as to say, dig a trench around my sacrifice, pour buckets of water, pour buckets of water, and he prayed and God sent fire from heaven. They may have been asking for something like that because that sign regarding Elijah was proof about who Elijah was. And they're coming and asking about the validity of the spiritual identity of Jesus Christ. And so that may have been actually what they were saying, not just some miraculous sign, but we want to see something special. We want to see like something from Elijah. The implication is that your normal everyday miracle isn't good enough for us. <laughs> yeah, you've, you know, you've cast out some demons, we've seen that. You've made some blind people see, you've helped some deaf people to hear, you've, some lame people are walking and all, yeah, those are just run-of-the-mill miracles. We need, we need something like Elijah before we're going to... You know, how many of those do you have to see before you begin to believe what Jesus says about himself? But it wasn't enough for them because they had made up their minds that they weren't going to believe. So they're asking for more. That can kind of sound rather spiritual. It can sound rather very much like somebody's being an honest seeker. Well, if God would just do this for me, my grandma's sick, and if God would just heal my grandma, then I would believe in him. Or, you know, my marriage is falling apart. If God would just change my heart and give me love for my spouse again, then I would start to believe in him. But if he's not going to do that, then I'm not going to believe in him. There's a saying, and I know you guys understand the saying, that's the tail wagging the dog. That's man or a woman, mankind, humankind, making God bow to man's demands and commands and expectations. And God is indebted to no one. Now, if somebody wants to come and say, you know, Lord, I'm not sure about who you are and um, you know, I, I wasn't raised in church and I don't have much of a background, but my Christian friends, they're making an impact on me and I've read a little bit of your word and it seems to make sense and so I'm coming to you and if you could heal my grandma, that'd be great or help me to love my... That's a whole different story. That's not making a demand, that's making a request. It's coming humbly. But that's not how the Pharisees came. They came making demands. So when you hear people making demands like that, guys... This is really kind of an apologetic for the Christian body of Christ. Don't let people back you into a corner by saying, I would believe in God if you came right down and struck that guy dead. God doesn't owe anybody that kind of response. He's not going to be manipulated by people that have decided to not believe in him. The dog is not going to let the tail wag the dog. 
God is not going to let his creation boss him around and he's not indebted to perform some miracle or jump through some hoop because this Job unbeliever over here says, well, if God doesn't do this, then I'm not going to believe. Guess what? You've already made up your mind and God isn't going to jump through a hoop for you. The Lord doesn't do that. He'll respond to faith. He'll respond to humility. But he doesn't respond to demands. I cringe when people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to the big man upstairs. We're going to have a talk. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? You're going to have a talk with the big man upstairs. There, there will be a discussion and it will be one-sided. Yeah. So there's a real arrogance among some people. And guys, may we not be in that camp. God, I've tried so hard, but it just doesn't seem like you're for me and and this and that, and so I just don't know if I can keep following you because, you know, I lost that job and, and so on and so forth. You guys, there's a thousand different scenarios. I trust the Holy Spirit will make application to your life. But when we start cracking the whip on the Lord, we're cutting ourselves off. The, we're, the relationship is immediately breaking down and he owes us nothing. Actually, you know what I know God owes me? God owes me hell apart from Christ. And now he's grac- graciously promised me heaven because of Jesus. He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe anybody anything. But these men come very arrogantly, very religiously, and it could sound good. So I, I just want you guys to, to not feel like, oh my gosh, that person said if, if God would just heal uh, my grandma, I would believe. Don't let yourself get backed into a corner on that, thinking you have to somehow defend the Lord. And if grandma doesn't get healed, that God failed. Not so. It can also go this way. I thought you were a Christian. If you were a Christian, you'd do this. And if you were a Christian, you'd help me, then then maybe I'd believe. Don't let yourself get manipulated. Off the notes for a minute. Remember when Jesus was approached by two men, and they were brothers, and one said to Jesus, Lord, uh, uh, help help my brother and I divide the inheritance that has come to us. In other words, dad died. We're having a bit of a squabble about how to appropriate uh, the inheritance and all that. Lord, you decide. And Jesus said, who made me judge over you? He turned and walked away. I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to settle your squabbles. I'm here to save your soul. I'm here to bring you into truth. And I love that, that Jesus did not let himself get manipulated. So guys, when people back you into a corner personally, well, if you were a Christian, then I am a Christian. And I think the Lord's telling me to tell you, no. <laughs> no. I'm not going to do this for you. He wants you to pray so he can do it for you because you don't need me. You need him. So don't let yourself get manipulated. Or in your mind, don't think that God's getting manipulated. He's not. He's not threatened by, this, by those kinds of arrogant, untrue people. He loves them. But he's not, he's not wringing his hands. What Jesus had done for others wasn't enough for these guys. And they refused to believe. Look at John, the notes here in John chapter 12, verse 37 to 39. Speaking about the unbelieving crowd, although he had done so many signs before them, before the unbelieving crowd, this is more than just the Pharisees, though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. They had said no, apparently, and this gets into big theological arguments about predestination and all these kinds of things and man's free will and all that. I'm just going to read the scripture and just say, this is what I get out of it. He had done so many things and they kept saying no, they couldn't believe. 
They couldn't find a way in, at least at that moment. Perhaps if they did not maintain that negative position, negative attitude against Jesus, their eyes, their spiritual eyes would have been open. But at least right now, they couldn't believe. So what does that tell me? A person can get himself in a spiritual condition where they can't believe. Guys, I, I would have to think, and this is me kind of putting two and two together and coming up with something that looks like a four, okay? I would have to believe that in certain areas of the Christian life, we can get that way too. Not about salvation, not about the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the, the incarnation, the death and resurrection of Christ, that the, the Jesus will come back physically. Not, not about those theological things. I just can't believe that he would ever heal my marriage. I can't believe that he would help me get off of, of substance addiction. I can't believe it. Fill in the blank. I can't believe it. Oh, then you're going to miss it. And what I, where we're going to end up, and now I'm giving a, this is, I'm, this is a, what do they call that when you, when you give away the plot of a movie ahead of time? Spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm so dumb sometimes. Spoiler alert. When we, can't, when we can't believe, it's because you know who we're focused on? We're focused on ourselves. You're focused on the problem. If you can't believe, it's because you got yourself there. Jesus here, we're going to see, is inviting the disciples to believe. He's begging them to believe. He's reasoning with them to believe. To not go on emotions, to not even go on logic. Because Jesus superpasses, he supersedes logic. He did it with the feeding of the, of the multitudes, right? Twice. All the miracles. Way beyond nature, way beyond logic. So, these guys, the Pharisees, refused to believe. Jesus, as I said, verses 11 and 12, look at verse 12. Why does this generation seek a sign? And the generation is not just like an age group or like, you know, they were the original baby boomers or something like that. It's, it's more like, why does this group of people, why do these people, you could translate it that way, why do these people seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to them. So the word testing there in verse 11 is also translated tempting. They were asking him to prove who he was. Now, the, the word can mean tempt or it can mean test depending on, on the context. If I find a, 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 goal or a yellow piece of rock out in the field and I want to take, know if it's gold or not, I take it to the assayer's office and they test it. They test it to see if it's the real thing. So it could be that they're saying here, we're testing you to see if you're the real thing. They had already made up their minds that he wasn't. It could mean that. It could also mean tempting that when Satan tempts us, he's enticing us to fall. He's enticing us to do the wrong thing. Now I want to throw something at you to see if it sticks. They asked him to prove who he was, and in doing so it was a temptation. If Jesus would have given in, it would have been a sin, in my opinion. He would have allowed himself to be manipulated by unbelievers who had no intention of ever believing. Jesus would have allowed himself to be manipulated. He said in the Gospel of John, I always do those things that please the Father. Guys, Jesus saying no to these manipulators was pleasing to the Father. The Father was saying, that away, son. Don't let the tail wag the dog. Remember that phrase. It's a good one. It's in the Bible somewhere. Search for it. When you find it, come and tell me. Until then, keep searching. Don't let the tail wag the dog. Jesus was pleasing to the Father by telling these manipulators, no, I'm not going to jump through this hoop for you. I'm not going to take my, my cues from you and my promptings from you. The miracles of Jesus were done to alleviate suffering and to bring life and not to satisfy unbelievers. 
The prompting of Jesus would come from his father, not from people. Guys, notice, this is the same tactic that Satan used against Jesus in the wilderness temptations. These guys are doing exactly what Satan did. No wonder Jesus said in the Gospel of John, you are, you are sons of your father, the devil. What he does, you do the same thing. They were doing the same thing that Satan did in Luke chapter 4. Look at this. Then he brought Jesus to Jerusalem. The, Satan did. Brought Jesus to Jerusalem. This is all before his ministry started. Set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Notice, Satan quotes scripture. Out of context, and only part of the verse, but he quotes scripture. So, that's another way manipulators, guys, be wise, okay? Don't, say it with me, don't let the tail wag the dog, okay? Don't be that kind of vulnerable. Don't let yourself be vulnerable. Manipulators and unbelievers will use the word of God against God and against you even. Well, if you were a Christian, doesn't the Bible say judge not? Actually, that's translated condemn not. But then it goes on to say watch out for false prophets. So it does say to be discerning. And I think you're one of them. I'm connecting too many dots, sorry. Caffeine is just now kicking in. I try to time it, 11.15, okay? This is what Satan did to Jesus. Jesus, throw yourself down from the highest part on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, right where all the crowds are, so all these people can see who you are, because right as you're falling, the angels are going to come down and swoop you up and set you back up, and then you can do the Rocky thing when he runs up the steps in Philadelphia, you can hear the music, yeah, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, right? Everybody will know who you are. He's quoting scripture to get him to do it. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. What was the temptation? The temptation for Jesus was to be manipulated by the devil for his own well-being. If I just do what the devil says and the angels come, everybody will know who I am. But he would have been taking his cues from Satan. He would have been taking his cues from an unbelieving entity. And so Jesus... And then it says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Guys, do not let yourself get manipulated. And don't think that God is wringing his hands in heaven when somebody supposedly cleverly throws down the gauntlet and says, if God's real, then he, you know, you know what, he's real. And, and there's so many other things to prove that he's real than you standing up there and thumping your chest and say, satisfy me, you know. <laughs> I wish my voice could go two octaves higher, you know, like some little squeaky bird. If people want to see if God is real, open your eyes and look at creation. Look at the human body. Look at the gazillions of miles of neurological connections in the brain. Look at the heartbeat. Look at the, the way the lungs work. Look at how blood transfers oxygen and nutrients throughout your body. You don't even think about it. Fly over the ocean. Dive under the ocean. Climb the highest mountain. Look through a telescope or a microscope. There's your signage. You want a sign? There's your signage. Those are your signs that there's at least an intelligent designer out there. Uh, there is a creator at least out there. This stuff doesn't just accidentally happen. You don't go up to a, a pile of, of, a, of, of paper and, and torn up books and everything and set off a bomb and blow everything up and suddenly you have the Library of Congress. Things don't go from disorder to order. They go from order to disorder. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Everybody knows that. People that come and throw down the gauntlet supposedly with God are ignoring the evidence already. That's what these guys are doing. They're ignoring the evidence. They refuse to believe. 
Guys, there's people that you know and that I know that no amount of evidence is going to uh, convince them unless their hearts are humble and, and, they're, and they're honest and coming in truth. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. And this is, this, these are the kinds of people that we deal with. I have friends that are, their brain power is far, far exceeds my brain power. And I don't try to argue with them anymore. I just don't. I pray. That's all I do. I just pray and I love. I pray and I love and I pray and I love and we talk about sports and we talk about music and we talk about life and we talk about good restaurants and how, how glad I am to, to live in Napa Valley with these amazing restaurants. And we talk, talk about everything. We talk about how I never swim in the Napa River. We talk about everything. How's your allergy? We talk about everything. I don't argue with them. Because until their hearts are right, I could say, I could recite the Bible forward to backwards in 17 different languages. It's not going to do anything until their hearts are broken before the Lord, until they're honest. What does this do? This tells me, this tells me that coming to Christ, in my opinion, is, is never just an intellectual decision. It's always a heart decision. It's always a moral decision. Look, look what Jesus said in Matthew 16. This is a parallel passage of what we're studying. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, they asked him how he, that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, Hmm, interesting. When it's evening, you will say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. And then he called them hypocrites. You pretend to really care, but you don't really care. That's what manipulators do. They pretend that they care, but they don't really care. Hypocrites are pretenders. Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the sign of the times. Remember when John the Baptist was, was arrested, put in prison, and he's kind of going, hmm, I baptized my cousin, I saw the Holy Spirit come down upon him, and I, I, know that I told everybody he's the Lamb of God that takes away the, the, the sins of the world, but now I'm in prison, hmm, what, oops, sorry, hmm, what should I do, what should I think about this, you know? And uh, some of the disciples come, and they say, go to Jesus and ask him, are you, are you the one? I thought you were the one. Are you the one? You know, or are we to look for another? And Jesus said, go tell them the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the kingdom of God is here. What is Jesus saying? Look at the, starts with an E, ends with a evidence. <laughs> Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he left them and departed. Wouldn't, would, again, would not get engaged. What's the, pro, what's the sign of the prophet Jonah? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, and then he will be ascended. Talked about his death and resurrection. You want a sign? Sign's coming. And he walked away. And they wouldn't believe that greater sign. They wanted something else according to their own dis, disbelieving way of thinking. Miraculous signs, finally. We're, we're wrapping up part one here, part A. Those who refuse to believe in Jesus. Miraculous signs are no guarantee of bringing faith. Look at, look at Psalm 95. <clears throat> the children of Israel are wandering in the desert for 40 years. The psalmist says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Your fathers, they did what? They tested me. They tried me. Isn't it strange that man puts God on trial? Actually, God's going to put man on trial. But man likes to put God on trial. They, te they tested God. 
Though they saw my work, they had manna falling from heaven every single day for 40 years that sustained 2 to 3 million people, had all the nutrients that they needed. Daily provision for 2 to 3 million people for 40 years. But are you really there, Lord? Are you kidding me? I'm glad you're laughing. It gets kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? It gets kind of ridiculous. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts. Why were they going astray in their hearts? Because they were ignoring the evidence that their minds were able to perceive. Guys, if you're not willing to look honestly at the evidence with your eyes and your faculties, your heart's going to go astray. They do not know my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. You can turn the paper over. I'll say it again. I believe when a, if a person chooses to not follow Christ, to not surrender to Jesus Christ, it's primarily a moral decision. And Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the condemnation. This is why men are judged. This is why people are judged. Because light has come into the world, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. I don't think it's ever honestly... Now, there might be some intellectual uh, questions and some challenges that somebody has to work through. But as they work through them, if they want to walk in light, they're going to end up walking in light, I believe, from the theological Armenian point of view. And there's a whole Calvinist point of view. not here to debate any of that. I'm just saying, I think primarily when you boil it all down, it's much more of a moral decision if a person wants to follow Christ. Not one of, I just can't see how it could be true. If you can't see how there could be an, a, a, an intelligent designer and a creator, then you come up with an explanation about how, the, how all this came to be. You come up with an explanation about how our earth is exactly the right distance from the sun and spins at exactly the right speed, and, you know, a few degrees closer, we'd burn up, a few degrees farther, we'd freeze to death, those kinds of things, then you come up with something. You come up with something. So, those are those, are those who refuse to believe. What do we have? They refuse to believe in Jesus. Jesus refused to be manipulated by them, and remember that signs are no guarantee of bringing people to faith. Now, those who struggle to believe in Jesus... Those who are looking to believe in Jesus, who want to believe in Jesus, but kind of falter for different reasons. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them. And he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. And Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? I believe that these guys are struggling to believe in Jesus because they're focused on themselves. Jesus had just fed 4,000. Not long before that, he fed 5,000. On both occasions, they had said, how could this ever happen? We only have a few loaves of bread. How could this ever happen? So they were very aware of their inability, but they had become very aware of Jesus' ability. Guys, they saw those miracles. They didn't just see them. They were the guys taking the bread and handing it out. They were, they were very literally hands-on with these miracles. Verse 14. In the boat, their minds are again focused on their lack of physical resources. Now, what had they just witnessed? 
Somebody raise your hand and tell me it's good for a donut out in the... Yeah, Rose. Okay, they had, they had witnessed the feeding of the 4,000. Correct. But there's another thing. What had they just witnessed? Glass. Come on now, guys, think. Think. You're at, Pete's, you're at Pete's coffee shop and somebody's asking you a question. Raise your hand and answer me. What had they just witnessed? Open book test. It's right in your Bible. What did I just get done talking about? Raise your hand. Yes, my love. That's my wife, by the way. Jesus being tested. They had just seen that, right? Yes or no? They had just seen it. They had just seen it. And Jesus is, is, is getting ready to teach them this great thing, and they had just seen him handle these guys that were refusing to believe, and they, you know, and they walk away, and you know, they walk away, and this, they don't do this. Okay, you've got to watch up here. They don't do this. Wow, that was amazing how Jesus handled those guys. I wonder, I guess we should be thinking about that. Hmm, what is there to learn? You know what they do? We forgot bread. We forgot bread. Oh, it's me. Woe is me. Oh, I forgot bread. They just saw Jesus masterfully handle the hypocritical religious leaders of the nation of Israel, and they're thinking about themselves. That is called being self-focused. They're thinking about themselves. They had a chance to understand more clearly the nature of unbelieving Pharisees. They had a chance to learn that the people of God should not let themselves get manipulated or controlled. They had a chance to learn that there is a time to walk away. Remember, uh, what's the guy's name? You got to know when to hold him. No, Kenny Rogers. See, even Kenny Rogers knows. You got to know when to walk away, you know when to run. I mean, he, he, they could have learned these things. Come on, you guys laugh with me. They could, have, they could have learned about the importance of discerning the times. According to Matthew, Jesus said, you guys... You know how to discern the weather, but you don't know how to discern the times. They could have walked away and said, what did he mean by discerning the times? I guess we better pay attention to what it means to discern the times. Instead, they walk away just saying, we forgot bread. They're just thinking about the here and the now. They're thinking about the things in their pocket and the things that are not in their pocket. They're just living just in the moment in a negative kind of way. Okay. After that exchange, verse 15 Jesus immediately says, hey guys, watch out. I want to, I, this is the teaching moment. Watch out for the uh, leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, heaven, uh, of, of Herod. Oh, we forgot to take bread. They're totally missing it. It's a teaching and warning moment. Take heed. Jesus says, I want you guys to be careful so you don't end up like them. Unbelieving. Christians, don't end up like them unbelieving. Don't even want to ask you to raise your hands. How many of us have seen people that we believed were Christians and we had fellowship with them, but something came up and it didn't go the way they thought and now they're gone? All of us know Christians, apparently Christians, maybe not Christians, I don't know, We've seen people go and leave the church because the church didn't do this or God didn't do that or my marriage didn't work out or these things and if God was real, then blah, 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 blah. And they throw down the gauntlet and if God doesn't jump through their hoop, they exit the building. And Jesus is saying to the guys, don't turn out like them. This isn't about bread. This is about your soul. Don't turn out like them. Leaven is a yeast that permeates through bread. And he says, if you think like them, it's going to permeate your life. 
If the first thing is, if God doesn't change my marriage, then I don't know if I'm going to follow him. The next thing is, if God doesn't make me feel good about myself, or if God doesn't give me a new job, or if God doesn't do this, and suddenly the list of God, the things that God has to do, now the tail is really trying to wag the dog. And now your heart's going farther and farther away. If God doesn't, if God, wait a minute, he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it. And he created you and he sustains you and your next breath is in his hand. Who are you to demand anything from the Lord? And yet people do it, don't they? Right? Yes or no? People do it and they walk away. And Jesus is saying, guys, don't, don't, don't end up like them. Don't end up like them. It's a scary moment. Leaven of the Pharisees, God is only concerned with externals. You turn into a legalist or a judge or a hypocrite. Leaven of Herod, they, Herod was very concerned about winning people appro- people's approval and not God's approval. And both of them were all about rule by, by the power of man. They were thinking humanly and not spiritually. Verse 16, they forgot the bread. They were focused on themselves. They didn't want to fail. Instead of asking to gain truth, they just felt bad for themselves. I have some questions there. I want you guys to think about it for them. Think about it for you. Why are they so self-focused? Why are we so self-focused? Why are, they are, why are they so afraid of failing? Even right before the cross, they're arguing about who among them was the greatest. <laughs> right before the cross. Ah, Jesus, I know you said that you were going to be killed and handed over and all that kind of stuff, but can I be the number two guy in your kingdom? No thought about Jesus, just thinking about themselves. Any one of us can do it. Any, I can slip back into that any day of the week. I don't want to say three times on Sunday because I'm a preacher, but any one of us can slip back into that. I want you to consider this too, guys. And, I, and if there's anybody kind of stuck in, in this way, I just want you to consider. Sometimes they've failed, but, and Jesus has scolded them, Right? But he's always been good, hasn't he? He scolded them, but he's always good to them. I'm scolding you because I don't want you to turn out like them. Beware. Don't let that thing that permeates their thinking start to permeate your thinking. Guys, may none of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, may none of us be so afraid of failing that somehow in our minds, Jesus becomes a harsh taskmaster. He'll scold us and he'll correct us, but it's so that we don't end up like them. So we shouldn't be afraid of the Lord, right? We shouldn't be afraid. His correction is always for their good and it was always for his glory. Why are they so afraid of failing? Let me say this to you. You can just answer in your own heart or ask the Lord to show you. This is something maybe to ponder. Why am, I, why am I so afraid of failing? Because if it's always about you being afraid of failing, then what are you always thinking about? Failing. And you're always thinking about yourself. And Jesus does a miracle right next to you and you're going, yeah, 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 but I'm, I didn't bring bread. doing all these things but I didn't bring bread life is not man does not live by bread alone right you know Jesus is inviting them in and they're just thinking about themselves I get it I'm, you know I do that you do that 
Jesus wants to bring them out of unbelief. I love this. He scolds them, but he loves them so much. Look at 17. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Now, he asked them six really stinging questions. Why do, you, why do you think this is about bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, when I broke the seven, the, uh, the seven loaves for the 4,000, and then he says in verse 21, how come you don't get it? Jesus is saying this, you guys, and you might be struggling to believe Jesus about something today. And it might be some very personal thing or very hidden thing or maybe something more that you can share. By the way, if you have a prayer need, please fill out a prayer card and let us pray for you. Okay? It can be anonymous and all that, the Lord knows. It's, it's your act of faith. But we can, we can be so kind of focused on, I didn't bring bread. I'm at this place of life and I always forget the bread. I always show up to the party and I was supposed to bring bread, but I didn't bring the bread. You know, or if I bring the bread, it's day-old bread. Nobody likes my bread. They like everybody else's bread. Or whatever the case is, whatever your failure de jour is, okay? Whatever ways you struggle, whatever ways you're afraid of failing, if you're focusing on that, you're not focusing on Jesus, you're just focusing on you, and life becomes all spinning around your potential to fail, to fail and your worry about failing. And what is Jesus asking them? He says, Guys, oh man, I wish I could just go on for another hour or something because I just think this is so amazing. The Lord is saying, don't you remember what I've done for you? You guys were there when I fed the, the 5,000, right? You saw that, right? You heard that when the people were going, yeah, Jesus for king, yeah. You guys were there when the people were cheering and going, ooh, and all, and all that. You guys smelled the bread. You guys tasted the bread. Why don't you remember that? These, these, these questions are amazing. Verse 18. You have eyes, but you don't see have ears, so you don't hear. Don't you remember? And then he says, and he's scolding them, but he loves them. How is it that you don't understand? I don't get that. And my answer to Jesus would be, because I forgot to bring bread. Because <laughs> I'm focused on myself again. Ah! Can we just have a sanctified gag in the church right now? Yeah! I forgot to bring bread and I failed. Oh, me, me, me. I just need to quit looking in the mirror so much. You know, I forgot a verse here and it's a really good one. Where is it? Colossians 3. Look at that and we're going to close. If you have any questions, send them in. By God's grace, down at the bottom, Jesus wants to bring us into belief, into like strong, regular, functional faith. By God's grace and by our choosing, we need to turn our thoughts to a higher plane. Colossians, if then you were raised with Christ, and Paul is writing to Christians, so that word if means since. Since then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. When you're thinking about, I forgot to bring bread, or I forgot my anniversary, or I failed to do this, or I messed up there again, or whatever it is, whatever it is. Okay, you did. You're right. You forgot your anniversary. Uh, you blew it. You, 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 you weren't sober 
you had a bad thought, you did something, said something, okay, you did, forgot to bring bread. The Lord never says, so I want you to for the next 365 days to focus on your failure to bring bread. He never does that. You know what he does do? After 365 days, he'll say, why are you still focused on bread? Set your, set your eyes and your heart on things above where Christ is. Guys, we don't have to worry about whether we brought bread or not if we're focused on heaven, <laughs> right? You guys with me? Yes or no? You with me? What you think about, you know, I can't control what comes into my mind or what I dream. I think a lot of dreams are like from the devil or something. Man, I dream about weird, crazy stuff. Sometimes I can fly and swim. You ever swim in the air? Sometimes I can swim in the air. But sometimes it's like, I don't watch horror movies or anything like that. Some of this stuff that comes in my head, ah, you know? I can't control what comes into my head, but I can control what stays there. And if I just keep focusing on the fact that I forgot to bring bread, pretty soon I, I'm missing everything that's going on around me. Focusing on me. Guys, I just want to encourage you. And the Lord is so good, right? He scolds us. He scolds us. Because he loves us. And he says, I don't want you to turn out like them. Beware. Don't let it permeate your life because it'll affect your marriage. It'll affect the way you treat your parents. It'll affect the way you treat your friends and your spouse and, and your loved ones and your neighbors and the way you come into church and the attitude that you bring in to work and all these things. It'll affect everything about you. It's like leaven. It'll permeate through your life if you're just focusing on you. And you'll miss all these wonderful things that I'm doing. And you'll be so unaware of all the miracles going on around you just because you're focusing on you. So what's the remedy? The remedy is to quit focusing on ourselves. The remedy is to remember what Jesus has done. The remedy is to, to consider creation. The remedy is to, you know, get a, get a cheap little microscope and pull a leaf off a tree in your backyard and just look at that leaf for this afternoon. Or, or go online and, and, and see how the human brain works or, or how the human heart works or just look at anything regarding creation. Just get out of yourself and fo focus. I mean, you can start on creation. You can focus on what God has done in your life. Well, Lord, I remember my life used to be just a, a, a revolving train wreck all the time and now I just have minor skirmishes. You've done so much. I, I remember. I remember. I see. I hear. I taste. I, I hear. Oh, thank you, God. I don't want to get stuck there. Can I get an amen out of you guys? Amen. Any questions today? I'm sp supposed to read it off this fancy iPad, which I can't get to work. No, I'm sorry. Do you think it must have grieved Jesus that his hand-picked disciples were so spiritually dull? Yeah, I do. At, some, at one point he says, how long do I have to put up with you? But he loved them. It was a sanctified frustration. There's such a thing. The fact that he multiplied bread on two occasions and fed over 10,000 people had apparently made little impression on them. Yep. Why worry and argue over one loaf of bread when you have Jesus in the boat with you? Preach it, brother or sister. Their minds were dull, their hearts were hard, their eyes were blind, and their ears were deaf. Exacto mundo. I, I can't add to that. Totally agree. Any other? I just wanted to share a thought. We should remember we don't have to be perfect for God to use us. Exacto mundo again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
I used to hear preachers say, God will only use a clean vessel. Well, then he would have no vessels to use. (laughs) That's not an excuse for sinning. But you know what? He uses flawed people all the time. Look at that. He used those spiritually dull guys to assist him in a miracle, like on numerous occasions. And then he had the audacity to turn over the kingdom of God to them on earth, and here we are. Those 12 minus Judas changed the world. This is how they started. Guys, there's a lot of hope for us, right? So I want to encourage you. Remember what God has done. Look on the Lord. Don't look on your failures. Your failures will pop up without you even trying. Choose to focus on Jesus. Choose to focus on him. Lord, assist us in that, Lord, that we may serve you well, that we may have a joy that the world can't know about. Lord, we we know even in our failures, Jesus, you died to forgive us of our sins. May we accept that forgiveness and walk in in an uprightness and in a, in a, a condition of being pardoned. And may we never forget how much you love us, Lord. And so use us to your glory. Father, we pray for any among us that have yet to say yes to you, Lord, that they would, that they would know how good you are. So Lord, uh, refresh us today. Uh, help us to get over, forget the forgetting to bring the bread. Help us to get over it and to move on to the next thing, to set our eyes and our hearts on heaven. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.